Will you turn with me to the scriptures, to Psalm 119? This is part two. Uh, if you missed part one, um, we'll try not to uh, try not to have you miss too much of it. Uh, we'll just do a short recap, maybe, and then we'll move on into part two. Psalm 119, and we just want to lift a few verses here. Um, just let me get it myself. Verse 65, please. Psalm 119 and verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I, now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. The heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me, giving me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thy unfaithfulness hath afflicted me. Let I pray thee thy merciful kindness, Be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I may be not ashamed. Know the Lord will bless the reading of his word in public this morning. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the musicians and singers who so ably led us into a place of worship and reverence before you. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the table and for Pastor Glenn and the reading of thy word around the table. But we thank you above all things for what it stands for, for the broken body and the precious shed blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that it brings us back again around the cross and brings us, Lord, that we might behold him afresh and anew, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And we thank you for the precious blood that was shed. Now, Father, we ask you that you bless the children in Children's Church. We ask you, Father, you'd bless the babies down in creche and those who would look after them and the leaders and the teachers there with the children. We ask you, Father, now to settle us, even, Lord, although there's much noise in the tent, Lord, to distract us. We pray, O God, you would help us, Lord, to be able to hear thy word. And, O God, that we would receive the word of God may it be engrafted upon our very hearts imprinted into our very minds. And Lord, would you speak to us and deal with us in the way that you deem fit to do. 
Remember those who are sick in body and in spirit and in mind this morning, here and at home, or wherever they may be watching. Bless them, we pray. And now for those who are here under this roof this morning, encourage and strengthen, Lord, and deal with us, Lord, individually as you will. And Father, will you take this man up and will you use him for your glory? Anoint me with fresh oil this morning, I pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We called last week and again this week, definite good of, out of seeming evil. Definite good out of seeming evil. Notice, if you will, in our reading, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Notice before affliction here, he went astray. And then let your eye run down to verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. So now here's learning throughout that affliction. And then if you let your eye run down again, if you will, please, to verse 75. Here is the knowledge after coming through the affliction. The knowledge. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thy in faithfulness hath afflicted me. Notice, thy in faithfulness hath afflicted me. We know that Paul writes in Romans 8 and 28, for we know that all things work together for the good, to them that love God, to those who are the called, notice, according to his purpose. So all things God will work for the good, and even as we said last week, how does he work out such things that are so hard for us and make any good come from it? And I have to say, I don't know, he just does. Even from times of mourning, times of trouble, times of hurt, even in times of illness, he can work things out for the good. And notice the psalmist says that before I was afflicted, I went astray. And then he says in verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted, for I have learned in that affliction. And then again in verse 75, I know, O Lord, thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness, you're faithful. So he's praising the Lord coming out of a seeming evil, coming out of a seeming bad, something negative. Here he's praising God coming out. And so we looked at it last week, that how could we ever get to the place, the point in time, where even in our affliction we still look up. In our trouble we still look up, still trust in the Lord. Our hearts are broke. Our minds are maybe wayward. Our, our hearts are nearly ruined by the things that has come upon us. But somehow God keeps us with his great shepherd's crook, as it were, and draws us back into the way. And we learn more about God in the valley than we do on the mountaintop. We learn more about the Lord in the valley than we do when we're on the mountaintop. But, and I'm speaking to me, but oh that we could get to the place where in the valley we still praise, we still pray, we still seek His face. But on the mountaintop we don't forget what he's done for us, where he's brought us from. And rather that we would pray 
and praise and seek his face with the same fervency we had when we were in the valley. Because we tend to forget the Lord when things are going well or better for us. We have a good day. Sometimes we don't seek him the way we did the day before in our bad times. There's a definite good comes out of every seeming evil. And I write seeming because sometimes we feel it's just completely evil. But when God is working in it, he's not not working in it with us for through evil. He's working in it for our good. And sometimes we deem it to be like this. You notice here in Psalm 119, and I showed you, we're going to start here this morning, the little word above verse 65, tet. Tet. And that little word tet is the ninth, ninth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The ninth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then if you were to read all of Psalm 119, you'll see it goes in blocks, as we would call it, of eight verses. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each little block, it's called a stanza, each little block has eight verses. And so 22 eights are 176 making up 176 verses of Psalm 119. Now, we have got to the letter Teth, which is uh, the ninth letter. And we want to look at this, for this is important, I feel. As, as the psalmist has went from, he, he writes the ninth letter, Teth, and then into verse 65, coming into verse 67, into verse 71, all about affliction. And then it changes. By the time we get to verse 75, that, that God in faithfulness has afflicted him, it's into the next stanza, which is the tenth letter, Yod. Yod. And it's the letter from the name of Yahweh, if you want, the tetragrammaton, the YHWH, wanting for our rendering, or Yodhi Varhe is YHWH in the Hebrew text. And I think this is important for us because. When we look at this, we want to look at the number nine because when we look at the number nine, nine stands for something that seems evil. The number nine can be something that seems evil. And we want to look at how in this stanza of eight verses, going into the tenth letter, Yod number ten, it's God's perfection of divine order. Ten commandments, God's perfection of divine order. Ten Commandments. There were ten plagues in Egypt. The tenth plague was the death angel, yet he kept Israel when they were under the blood. Perfect divine order under the blood. The tenth plague. The ten tribes in the north of Israel and their judgment scattering and regathering, all in divine order for the spreading of the gospel. We keep the number ten. Ten and ten. We can go on with it. Divine order. And hence, coming from number nine, we have something that's seemingly evil released into number ten. Lord, you have afflict, your faithfulness, you've done this to me. In thy faithfulness, you've afflicted me. And here is the relief and the release of the psalmist in prayer and in praise, understanding and knowing more about God. And brothers and sisters, you'll see this morning, 
Remember you're going through a period and you're at number nine, so, so to speak. There's a number ten after it. God's divine, perfect place and order for you. When God has his way, let the Spirit have his way in your life this morning. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in your heart and in your mind this morning. And whatever he says, whatever he points out, whatever he tells you to do, do it with all your heart. Give it over freely and give yourself wholly unto him. Because you'll find that's where in the end of our fighting against the will of God, in the end of our wrestling like Jacob did with the angel of the Lord, he had his name changed to Israel, a prince ruling with God. When he finished the wrestling, he was blessed of God. And until we yield, until we yield, we don't get the full promised blessing that God has for us. And the place where God wants us to be in. So if God speaks to us this morning in any way, let us hear his voice. Let us yield our hearts. Let us prostrate our spirits. Let us open our minds to him alone and his word. And let us receive him with all that we have. That's number nine in scripture, as I said. It's quite important. Nine represents something bad or something negative. Especially, if you want, to those who are without faith, this could be bad. But in Christ, you and I who are saved by grace this morning, you and I who are by faith washed in the blood that he shed this morning, trusting in the fullness of his work in Calvary, fully, completely, utterly, totally, wholeheartedly, believing in Christ is enough and all that he's done and accomplished for me and you. Those of us who are found in Jesus, saved by him, redeemed by the blood, you and I have the Spirit of God. He lives in us by his Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, we might be going through a time and a place and a period and a season even, maybe even having a bad day. Brothers and sisters, it always gets better. It's fighting and fighting and digging deep and trusting with all our hearts that God will neither leave us nor forsake us, that God is working in us and doing something with us, and that he will change us to be fashioned like his own glorious, beautiful son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One old man at an early morning prayer meeting some 25 years or so ago, and we used to do really early morning prayer meetings about half five in the morning. And one old man used to get up and he used to be praying. And he used to say, Father, he says, you love your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so much. You want to make millions more of us like him. And that was true. To be fashioned like Christ. To be molded more like Christ. To know him. Paul says that he would know him and the power of his resurrection a closeness, a walk, a unity, a oneness and a bondage in the Spirit with Him. This morning, did you get up and seek His face? This morning, did you get up and seek His face? Because He was the first one on your mind. Brothers and sisters, here, number nine can seem... Like it's evil, but 
or negative or no good. Turn with me to Matthew 27, please. I'll get a drink while you're turning up. You're glad for a few moments of calm, aren't you? Bless God that the, the wind has died a little. I just want to lift out a couple of verses. The Lord Jesus is on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 45 and verse 46. I want you to see the importance. There's some things here people just miss in this. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. Take note, unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, the sixth hour to the ninth hour is about hour 12 noon to three in the afternoon. And that's when the darkness came over all the land, and Christ was hanging between heaven and earth, between two thieves, burying away our sin paying our debt and our penalty. But notice here, these R's and these numbers are important. For, for example, the sixth R to the ninth R is three R's. And the three is very important in the Scripture. In the mouth of two or three witness, witnesses that every word would be established, and mainly that was to do with judgment, by the way, not just Christians meeting together. That was to do with judgment. In the mouth of two or three witnesses uh, shall uh, every word be established. And these three R's, there is a depth that people miss. Now, we will never know. We will never know the fullness of the payment of the spiritual things, the need that we had that was poured out upon him in the wrath of the Father. We'll never know the separation that that took, which should have been ours. But if you notice this, brothers and sisters, these three R's from the sixth R to the ninth R. Notice the number nine. It seemed all doom and gloom because it was dark and black. Right to the ninth R. It seemed like this was evil. This was bad. And there's no hope of good. It was a, a seeming evil because God knew what he was doing in his son. God knew what he was doing. When mankind doesn't and didn't and couldn't understand it, God always knows what, knows what he is doing. And he knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he's doing with you personally. And notice here, these three R's. So as I said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, may every word be established. Hear judgment. Uh, I think if maybe Deuteronomy 27 is one of the uh, one, one of the references of it as well. It's just off the top of my head. I can't give you the verse because I can't just remember at the moment. But notice this, if you will: the judgment of the Father was being poured out upon His Son. The wrath of God, Pastor Glenn mentioned it this morning around the table. The wrath of the Father was being poured out upon His Son, and in these. Three hours, there was a judgment made, meted out upon him between six and the ninth hour. By the way, the number three, and, and for witness sake, for especially in judgment, but for witness sake, the number three is important like this. Let me give you an example. 
3 speaks about a further dimension, okay? This, this table in front of us here, if we just took the top off, it has two dimensions. It has length by breadth. It's a flat surface. But when we add the third dimension, it gives it depth. It gives it depth. And so the number three, as for witness, gives depth to what has happened. The three R's was a a depth to the people of the judgment and the wrath poured out upon his son that should have been ours. Three days he's in the tomb. Three days he was was raised on the, the third day. And the reason being is because it brought depth to the death of Christ. Depth where people could see he's dead already even to the point where there are those who fully walked away. Who decided to up sticks and go because, listen, if Jesus is in the tomb three days, he's definitely not coming back now. He's definitely not coming back now. Take note of this, if you will. The two on the the road to Emmaus, walking on the road to Emmaus, dejected and down, Dejected and down, and Luke 24 and verse 21 say, we'll just take the one verse. Luke 24 and verse 21, when the risen Christ comes alongside of them and they don't recognize him, and they ask them, what manner of this are ye that you're, you're sad? In other words, you're, you're down. And Jesus is there and they can't recognize it. And we're like that when Jesus is with us in the spirit. We're still down. Still in unbelief. Still in a lack of faith. We all go through these periods. You're not on your own. Couldn't this man? We have to dig deep and trust on and read the word and pray through. And you don't be through praying, brother and sister, but rather pray through. And the problem is we, we give up praying. And maybe that next prayer would have been the breakthrough. And notice here, this is their reply. But we have trusted it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day. The depth of this can't be overemphasized. He's in the tomb three days. He's not coming back. Even if he told us he would rise again, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days, I will raise it again, he says. And they're looking at him. Wow, what sort of man is this? But they're walking away to a place called Emmaus. Emmaus means warm baths. I don't know about you, brother, but if your wife sometimes is a wee bit stressed, or she says, I'm going to run a bath. Because warm baths ease the tension, don't they? Ease the ache and the pain. I hate baths. I like a shower. But the women love their bath. And I'm wondering, Emmaus means warm baths. Were they trying to soothe, self-soothe? Self-soothe? Because that's what we all try to do at times. We go to the Emmaus warm baths to self-soothe. We self-soothe ourselves 
to try and make ourselves feel better in that period of time. Nothing wrong with trying to make yourself feel better. But not at the expense of the glories of Christ. Sometimes we self-soothe, we have that escape. We want to do something for escapism, as it were. Don't run from him, brother, and don't run from him, sister. Run to him. Run to him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are safe. Take note, if you will. So that was on the third day. So people can be dejected. It gives the idea of a depth in the grave three days. On the cross, that is, between with the wrath, the darkness coming for three hours. Now, he was there from about six or nine in the morning, but he was on three hours with the, 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 the darkness over him and the wrath of the Father. So it speaks of judgment and the witness of the Son of God paying our debt is deep. And sometimes you and I measure God's love for us. Measure God's forgiveness to us. We measure God's mercy to us. And His grace upon us. The same way we are with others and others are with us. God's vastly greater in love and mercy than you and I could ever be. Don't measure yourself up against other people. Measure yourself up against the Word of God. And there God fashions us through affliction to be Christ-like. Brothers and sisters, we see in Matthew 27, there was the sixth hour. Six is the number of man. Christ the man, the God-man. God in flesh, the Word of the Father, the Son of God, kneeled to a cross, very God of very God, but yet man of very man. Flesh and blood and bone. The man, Christ Jesus, taking fallen man's place, your place and mine. And there for three hours with the depth of the wrath of God poured out upon him. And hence he keeps us. He cleanses us. He saved us. Listen to an old Puritan called Henry Smith. He hideth our righteousness with his righteousness. He covereth our disobedience with his obedience. He shadoweth our death with his death that the wrath of God cannot find us. Isn't that mighty? In fact, this tonight on the Atheist Post that's to do with what many Christians don't seem to see, and even an atheist knew it, although he was mocking, that God came himself in the person of his Son to be the sacrifice that he might save us from himself. And the atheist is laughing about this as if, is this what really happened? And I'm going, this man is... This man is preaching more here than anybody else here at the moment. Christ came to save us from our sin, yes. But he came to save us from the wrath of his Father. And Christians miss it. And even as Henry Smith writes here, 
that he shadows our death, his death with our, our death with his, with his death, pardon me. And he says that, that the wrath of God cannot find us. You see, this morning we may be afflicted, but it's not wrath. We may be afflicted with miseries this morning. We may be going through terrible and horrible times. We may have come out of one and we're doing better. Well, praise Him. Thank Him. Give Him the glory and the honor that He deserves this morning, Christian. Because maybe you're in it. Maybe you've come out of it. Or you're about to go into it. It's not the Father's wrath. He wants to do you good. It's in His faithfulness. He either afflicts us or allows others to come along to be used as that vessel that we might be more Christ-like. When Jesus died, he hung on the tree and he saved me, saved you from the wrath of his Father. The wrath of God can't find me anymore. The wrath of Father can't find you anymore, brother. The wrath of the Father can't find you anymore, sister. You know why? Because we're under the blood. Because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here. The seeming failure. Notice, I want to repeat that. The seeming failure of Jesus on the cross. In the ninth hour, he's dying. The seeming victory of evil as he cries out, would possibly cause one to despair. Just like these two on the road to Emmaus. And you and I go into despair sometimes. We all do because we're human. And it's taking our mindset, our stinking thinking, and taking our mindset and focusing them on the great love of Christ. Focus your mind on the great love of God for you. And get into the word, brother. And get into the word, sister. Do you know why many Christians flap and panic and fall and fail so much? Because they don't read this. They don't know this. Little promise box mentality. I'll choose, Lord. I know a man used to do that. Arsenal will tell you. Lord, I need a word for this. Oh, something about a mother-in-law and the one I picked there. Actually, his. Who used to do that? That's not getting the Word of God. What if he was reading about Judas going out to hang himself and it says, go thou and do likewise. It's not the Word of God. Read the Word. Get the Word into you. Not the Word of Christ. Dwell in you richly. For there's your sustenance and your strength. There's your help and your encouragement. The ninth hour cry of Christ wasn't a cry of defeat, but of depth and demonstration. The crucified Lord Jesus had drank up every drop of the Father's wrath. And the depth of our eternal miseries were taken by him being swallowed up by him as he drank the fullness of our cup and experienced for us that which we should have had, eternal separation from God. He took it. 
He paid it. And at the ninth hour, the devil must have been rubbing his hands. This is him finished. Eloi! Eloi! Lama Sabachthani! Which being interpreted as, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Could you imagine if it was you? Could you imagine if it was you? Forever! My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? He took it that you and I would be brought in. That you and I would be forgiven. That you and I might be saved. And brothers and sisters, after the Savior's resurrection, He sent us His Holy Spirit and a definite blessing came from the Holy Ghost. He lives in us. He moves in us. We are His temple and we are His tabernacle, giving us the nine gifts of the Spirit and the nine fruit of the Holy Ghost to enable us to be more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, a definite good after a seeming evil, after Christ's ascension into heaven brought the Holy Ghost down. Thank God He sent His Spirit. You know, some people in some churches think the Holy Spirit is just, you know, something that comes along to whisper in your ear. And whenever you make a decision, you get saved. That's it. The Holy Ghost. God, the Holy Ghost, lives in us. He moves in us. He works in us. And He does great things through miserable creatures like us. I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe in the gifts and the glories of Christ in our lives. Let us live by the fruit, showing the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Notice this. The Holy Spirit living in us produces a definite good out of a seeming evil heart. And that's what affliction does through the Spirit and the Word. A heart going astray from God all the time. A heart going astray from God. Listen, brother, sister, I'm not here to condemn you. You know I'm not. I'm speaking to my own heart. Our hearts are wandering astray many times. We're talking about going astray and never learning. Going astray and never learning, never yielding. You know what happens? God uses His Word before He uses His rod. God uses His Word before He uses His rod. The Word to straighten you up. The Word to bring conviction. The Word to change you. The Word to bring you on. He uses His Word before He uses His rod. The rod of affliction and chastisement. And so, in number nine, it's like a seeming evil or a negative number. We flow into number ten. And on the next hour, on the tenth hour, after Jesus had given up the ghost, his life wasn't taken from him. After Jesus had given up the ghost, well, he went to the tomb for those three days. There's no chance, but seeming evil was just, seemed like it to the devil. Seeming evil seemed like a victory to the devil. But just around the corner, was coming the blessed resurrection. 
So these reflections of the psalmist in Psalm 119 has caused him to rejoice. Listen, and be grateful. Imagine being grateful for your affliction. Being grateful that God done that, that God brought him through because he's learned, he's come closer. He's learned of God and he's come closer to God because he was the wayward one. Imagine being grateful for that. You know, in our secondary school, we had a, a teacher. He was a music teacher called Mr. Sterling, and we all called him Mozart. And he had one of those canes, you know, the, the, the actual cane that goes up in the wee curl in the wee long strip. And he was sadistic. He had a cane for coughing in class without a handkerchief. And my second day in first year, he caned me six times. Six of the best I got. And boy, was that sore. My fingers were like thumbs. I was, I was sore. Second day in first year, you imagine what I was thinking the rest of my school days are going to be like. I'm standing in the class and this fella comes walking along and I was always small and, and wary, you know, but looked very weedy. And he just came up to me and he hit me a big dig. So I thought, I'm not letting you get away with that. And there we were, and the teacher comes around the corner, and now your mom, I guess. <laughs> Second day in first year. And he brought us in, called the other guy, Philip. Never. Philip had his hand there, and I had my hand there. And he called his cane Gertie. That's where it went. And he used to get it closer and closer. And my hand must have been slightly in front of Phillips because it clipped me. He used to do it to clip you on the way up and smack you on the way down. And we, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Next thing, but he clipped me and I went, oh. And Philip didn't move because it didn't hit him. I was like, oh. So Mozart gets Philip, my, gets my, uh, Philip's hand goes, whack. Right, you're all right, off you go. And I go to walk down. He says, where are you going? Come here. He says, you faked that. My finger was beetroot red. I cut along to the plane with it. And he hit me six times across the hands in front of everybody. And every time he hit me, he tapped me around the face with it. And he says, now say thank you, Gertie. Say thank you, Gertie. And I went, thank you, Gertie. Thanking God for affliction isn't like that. He's not sadistic. He doesn't put us into affliction or allow it to come upon us. He's not sadistic. He loves us. But he does it for our good. For our betterment, for our furtherment. You see, brothers and sisters... This psalmist here, David, these are his reflections of what had happened, what he's come through, and thanking God and remembering from the past, not leaving open scars to fester in it. Scars of hurt, scars of disappointment, scars of disillusionment, scars of hard times. Do you know what it does? If it's not mollified, as the Lord said to Israel, it's neither bound up nor mollified with ointment, he says, it becomes putrefying. 
and it stinks before God. We have to allow it to heal. There may be a scar, but you know what a scar tells me and tells you? A scar tells us we've made it through. A scar tells us we've been through it and come out the other side. It's not laying open. It's closed up. It's healed. But it's there to remind us of what has happened in the past to learn from going there again. Notice, boy, time's flowing already. Notice this. These reflections that cause them to rejoice and be grateful. While gratitude flows from him, yet there's a, there's a tone of surrender. Notice there's a tone of surrender and a feeling of relief from a war. I want you to get this now. A feeling of relief from a war that has finally ceased due to the victory of the Word of God in him. The Word of God speaking to you this morning. And some may go, that was for me this morning. Praise God. By the time we get around our dinner table, we forget it. Or God convicts us of something and we make a promise in our seat. Lord, I will do. I will yield. I will give. I will go. And we forget it by the time we've had your dessert. That's if you get a dessert. Brothers and sisters, it's allowing the Word to reside in us. Not only to comfort us, not only to encourage us, but the Word of God to direct us and to lead us. I have to close this. There's so much material. I don't think I'll do another morning. I'll do something else maybe. I have so much here. So much. You see, it is always... It is always a, a great witness of experience here. The psalmist is testifying to the goodness of God, to the graciousness of his dealings with him, and the power and the preciousness of his word. And this is the psalmist's verdict of his heart after he has come through a time or a season of testing and trial. And now the psalmist can't keep silent. He hasn't shut up about it, in other words. Lord, you're so faithful to me. I could have been away out into the world, but you brought this along to keep me home that night. I could have been away in doing X, Y, and Z, but you kept me away from it and, and I missed my bus. Lord, I was going to go out and do X, Y, Z, but you allowed the, the old devil to come upon me and to hold me back. But even the devil... Do you not know the devil is God's ape? The devil only does and is allowed to do what your father allows him to do. He's defeated. Don't give him any more victory than you do. Don't give him any praise, the devil that is. Thank God. Thank God for his word. It's a shepherd's crook that pulls you into the way. Denise, tell the children that can come up. I'm closing here. Please, thank you. The shepherd's crook to pull you into the way. And don't forget where he's brought you from. Don't forget what he's done through you. The darkness and the depths that you were in. And your father was with you all the time. I'll finish with this. I've 
You know, he says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept your word. And see this word affliction here, it's the word noha. And it gives the idea of to be exercised. Now, some go to the gym to be exercised their body. It means to be exercised or even to be troubled. You've exercised my spirit, Lord, this morning. You've even troubled me in what I've heard. I've wrote this. Sitting thinking about it. It stands the reason that if one needs humbled, then pride is present. And that's what God was doing with the psalmist. That's what God's done many times with me and will continue to. And I trust with you. You see, here, this could read some uh, Hebrew scholars uh, that I've read up on, it says, this could read in the Septuagint, which is the, it's the, the Old Testament written in Greek, earlier than the Masoretic Hebrew, actually. Before I was afflicted can be read, before I was humbled. Before I was humbled. You know what? Sometimes sometimes our, our own pride is the worst. Our own hearts deceive us. Before I was humbled, I went astray. My mind was away. My heart was away. So it stands the reason if one needs humbled, then pride is present. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. No Puritan called Nehemiah Rogers said, repentance, pardon me, humility is the pride of repentance. In other words, when we repent before God of it and the Spirit moves in us, that's true humility. Brothers and sisters, this morning, he loves you. He's with you. And I trust this morning that he's spoken to all of our hearts. And God bless his word to us.